So, yeah, it's not great. <sighs> you know what can absolutely get fucked sky high? Go on. People using the term platy-jubes. I saw that earlier on Twitter, and I was like, nope. Nope. Awful. Platy-jubes can go in the bin. People are fucking idiots, isn't they? <laughs> I've got no problem people celebrating the Jubilee. Do whatever makes you happy as long as it's not encroaching on me. But platy jubes, come on now. Play the game. Yeah. I bet you're a platy jube, right, you, Stu? Confirm or deny? <laughs> you're 100% of course you are. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone is doing well in the world right now. Hello, everybody. Matt Guy here. Hope everybody is safe and well in the world. Yeah, welcome back from Platitudes, everyone. Hope you had a good time. Um, we just about to see you. Uh, a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Term of the year so far. Did I celebrate it? No, I didn't, but who cares? Hello, everyone. First question. Of question cast um, forty six, will Liz be dead by the time this episode goes out? <laughs> by dead, do you mean in a current form or dead? Dead. Uh, dead um, she would have dead. moved on to a new skin sack. Off of her, so. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's what that's what I mean. Yeah, the yeah. Um, the shivering corpse and of the previous host ceases to <laughs> biologically <laughs> exist anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Fellas, it's been a bit of a scorcher of a few days. Are we enjoying the sunshine? It's been warm, man. It's been properly warm, but it's not been humid, which has been nice because mm. my nose, no, I get nosebleeds like Daniela Westbrook when <laughs> um, when I when like the temperature changes and like the, the like the pressure changes in the air. Like I, I just I, my nose goes hell for leather with blood, so I haven't had any of that yet, which is quite nice. That's a bit of a win, isn't it? Yeah, well, you say scorching. It wasn't really scorching. It was more like overcast today, which in the afternoon, um, which was all a bit odd. And I was sitting in the garden. I thought, do I need to go and get the dressing gown? So we have, <laughs> it's June, and but then there was talk of the, the colour of the new wool shirt being: is it gold or is it is it yellow or orange? And you think, well, this is the official sign that the summer has begun. <laughs> so That's true. we can only look forward from now. Here I <laughs> to be fair, I, I did miss the overcast weather today because I had to have a nap when I got back from the cinema. I was absolutely knackered. So, yeah, I thought I had a nap and missed that. But it's been been a lovely few days, I think. And it does help that I've been off this week. So I've just built the Lego Batman tumbler, which has been fantastic. Riddle me this. Oh, no, that was completely unrelated <laughs> to the Batman thing. Um, what is the perfect nap length? It, it's... Oh... It needs to be about 45 minutes to an hour. I think if it's under 45 minutes, I wake up angry, like I'm still tired. And if it's more than an hour, that's not a nap, that's just a sleep. Mm, I think 45 is too much, personally. I think if, if, we ca- if we're classing this, I've never had a nap in my life, or since I was like five years old. So if, I'm, if I'm having a, if I'm a, a daytime rest, it needs to be at least two hours. Otherwise, there's no point. <laughs> a daytime rest. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking granddad hall there. Jeez. But this is 
This is a point I don't have. You can't have a nap. I mean, I'd imagine with you being with that voluptuous beard of yours, you kind of. I can imagine you kind of curling up like a kitten on like, on your hands. <laughs> <laughs> but I, if I'm having a nap in the daytime, I, I would. It would be a two hour sleep, and I'd go to bed, and I'd set my alarm for two hours later. Otherwise, there's no point for that reason. I'd either wake up overly t- more tired than I went to sleep. Or the other way around, where I'd, I'd not wake up and then I'd be annoyed that I've lost half a day. So I think two hours is the premium point. Mm, I'm sure you're entering into like REM sleep at like two hours where yeah. it's then bad for your body to come out of it unexpectedly. Yeah, because your sleep cycles are like four hourly, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. So you don't want to go too deep, I don't think. Well, my, like, my Fitbit's alarm has like a smart feature on it, which will only wake you up when you're in a live uh, a light sleep like it'll recognize when you're in a light sleep and that's when it will wake you up mm. so you've got to kind of set around when you'd ideally like to wake up not like a specific time it's quite a cool feature really if you if that's uh, if you've got mm. time time to play with i guess i had you... that with an old app of mine i would say like wake me up at seven but it would wake me up any time between half six and half seven depending on when i actually fell asleep mm. hey. It comes to something when me, of all people, is the one without the technology and just wakes up when I can wake up. <laughs> that is true, Stu. <clears throat> anyway, let's move on to some movie news. We'll start off with some Marvel stuff. Morbius, the film, which just doesn't seem to die. Um, following a meme about the film, the studios have decided to put it back into the cinema. People joking online about it's Morbin time has caused the studios to return that shite. It's just ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, people have done nothing but take the piss out of this film. And not to an extent of, it's so bad, it's good. I mean, it's a genuinely terrible film, which has got very little redeeming qualities. We can end up with a fucking sequel because of these idiots, aren't we? (laughs) I'm not happy. (laughs) Well, it's one of these things where there's... People will probably go to it to be a part of the viral hype as opposed to actually enjoying it as a, as a film. And you've only got to look at the Binley mega chippy to see Binley how people, people will just get on any old shite, any old hype. I mean, I it got me doubting myself because I was thinking, did he actually say it's morbid time at any point in the film? <laughs> and then I was thinking, well, I don't remember it happening, but then... If everyone's kind of laughing at it and I just got pissed off, it's like that whole Nazi uniform, am I the, are we the bad guys thing? Because I'm thinking, well, I didn't enjoy it, but why didn't I enjoy it? Because this is my world. and It was trash. That's why you didn't yeah. enjoy it, Stu. It was and now, terrible. And now I've come around to it thinking, no, I am right. I'm right all along. Yeah, you are right. <laughs> Banish it forever. But no. No, we'll be getting more and more of... The Sinister Six, and this is going to go on forever, and we're never <laughs> going to get rid of Jared Leto, and and the world will die a much worse place because of it. Anyway, moving on, uh, a rumour has surfaced on a Disney fan site claiming that a Captain Carter series or film is in the works. This feels like another thing that nobody particularly wants, apart from a few dweebs on the internet calling for it. Stu, Captain Carter, is that something you're bothered about? I mean... I don't think she was entirely um, inspirational in her cameo in Doctor Strange. No, and 
we've talked about before how she was a terrible voice actor um, in What If. If they're going to start doing this and going into having series about multiverse stuff, then you really are scraping the barrel of things that we don't need. Um, mm-hmm. Just... I like Hayley Well, obviously for more than one reason, because just look at her. But that was as we've got two seasons of Agent Carter, which was really, really good and overlooked yeah. by loads of people. Um, again, I presume it's on Disney Plus now, like everything else is. I mean, it should be, if not. I believe so, yeah. I mean, that is genuinely really good fun, that that series. Mm-hmm. We've got that. Let's leave her alone. It, it doesn't make any sense. Mm. Matt, are you clamouring for... I say more Hayley Atwell, but we all want more Hayley Atwell. Do we want more Captain Carter? No. Um, no. I uh, At this rate, I saw a meme the other day that was talking about how in like 2054, you're going to have to watch 381 hours of Marvel <laughs> film and TV just to be able to watch the next Marvel film. Mm-hmm. Like, like, no, please have like, understand that people need to go out and touch grass and, and touch a boob every now and then, or a penis <laughs> if you're that way inclined. Like, it's there's not enough hours in the day for all the stuff that's going on at the moment. Like, I've never felt quite so pressured to watch so many things and not having the time to watch it. So I definitely don't need more Marvel TV shows that take up 10 hours of my time for something that isn't as grand and budgety and good-looking as the majority of Marvel films anyway. Mm, yeah, agreed. Um, finally, for the Marvel section, they have struck a deal with Stan Lee's estate, Poe Entertainment and Genius Brand International to hawk more shite bearing Stan Lee's name and likeness and most egregiously, a digital resurrection of the man so that he can make cameos in films until everybody dies. <laughs> like Knowing that the people who were going to be profiteering off his likeness are the ones that Lee accused of abuse of him after the death of his wife they forged documents to get Lee's blood so that he could sign some Black Panther comics and tricking him into signing a contract for his name and likeness he sued these people Stan Lee did when he was alive and that's not even touching on how gross it feels just to resurrect a man for a pretty poor joke that the well ran dry on a decade ago what are your thoughts on this, Matt? Um, it's obviously ethically all over the place, isn't it, really? So uh, it's one of them, like, uh, it doesn't bo- like it doesn't bother my world, like, at all, all this kind of stuff, so I can't pretend to be, like, emotionally invested in it, but it screams ethically horrible, so it doesn't sound like the right thing to do at all. No. Stu, what are your thoughts? I mean, if there was evidence that said that he wanted this to carry on, and happen when he was alive, then go free. Um, and that's kind of what I thought anyway before, um, just because he did the cameos, he did the cameo in the game and all kinds of mad shit. But knowing that about who's made this decision, then maybe not, maybe it's a bit off. Mm. But again, if, if he felt that way about them, then why are they in charge? I think because Marvel pay them the money to be in charge. Well, I say Mark Disney, obviously the the evil overlord in this story, aren't <laughs> they? They're the real Thanos in this story. 
Uh, staying with Disney, Kathleen Kennedy has confirmed that Star Wars will return to the cinemas in late 2023, and it'll be the first film of a possible trilogy directed by Taika Waititi. Um, it's assumed that because Star Wars Rogue Squadron has been moved from its December 22nd release date, that whatever Taika is going to be doing is going to be taking that slot. I'm quite intrigued what's going to happen next, like post Skywalker saga. Does Star Wars continue that universe? Does it retread stories around the same time? I mean, we've seen a lot of TV and films already, which are set between episodes one and six. So do they carry on with that or do they carry on with the storyline? Stu, what? firstly, Taika Waititi, and secondly, what the hell's going on? What do you think is going to happen next? I mean, you can never say no to Taika, can you? Bring it on. Brilliant. Um, if... It... I just don't want more of this. <laughs> We've heard, the whole thing is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Not a few planets where everyone's best friends and knows everyone else. Mm. Like this whole like, small universe thing is getting a bit stupid now. The, you've got all the kind of the KOTOR stuff and the the old Republic things from thousands of years ago, like they're doing with Lord of the Rings. So we'll have no characters that we know about or care about. So. Do stuff from the past, do from the hundreds and thousands of years before anything that we know. So you can have a clean, clean-ish slate and do do something there. Maybe have like Darth Sidious or whatever, mm. something like that. But you kind of think it's going to have a bit of a humorous bent to it, wouldn't you? So you can't really do that after what happened in Episode Nine. So with it, with, with no kind of sense of jeopardy either. It's it's all over the place. The whole thing's all over the place at the minute. And if I was them, that's what I'd do. Without rebooting everything and starting again, which is, wouldn't surprise me in the next 25 years or something like that. In our lifetime, we'll see it rebooted from the start. Guaranteed. You reckon? Yeah. I think, I think not yet, but I think down the line, I mean, how old A New Hope is now and all that, all them, you're going to want to, it'll go away for a bit and then, It'll be rebooted and retold in a different way for a new, new, new audience, whatever. I think that'll happen. Well, well you might, we might be like 65, 70 doing this in a holodeck or something, but <laughs> crossing the streams there. Um, but I, yeah, I could see that happening eventually. But for this, I, I'd hope that they'd go back and do something that with people we don't know about and we've got no investment in at all and do something like that. Mm. Matt, would you lean into the law that's been established or would you do what Stu's saying and just go completely off, off planet and do something completely different? Well, I see the problem is I don't know who own like who owns all of the canon like to this stuff. Is it does Disney own all the, the text and the books and everything, or do they own the film franchise of, of and, and like you know, the existing film media? They own the film and the Marvel comic book part of it and mm. some of the books, but not all of them. I believe on, on like TikTok and the rest, somehow it's found its way into my algorithm. I'm just getting loads of like people explaining the lore, and it sounds proper like interesting and some of like the Sith from thousands of years ago. That I'd, I'd rather just have that story to be honest, and you know, completely fresh eyes on on, mm. on do different characters and how how powerful they were and the rise and fall of these characters and stuff like that. I mean, effectively, after when they bought it, everything other than the films 
three games and one comic was kind of discarded as legendary, mm-hmm. a legend timeline or, or something like that. Yeah. So they can pretty much do what they want. So all that stuff about that's that used to be canon isn't anymore. It's like legend tales. So they can just go and rehash any old book or any old comic or anything like that and just mix it all up and do what they want and repackage it and sell it as a new thing. So all the, like all the stuff about Obi-Wan and all the things that have been apparently broken, which are not broken at all. <laughs> it's just people trying to get a reaction from things, again, as per usual. <laughs> it's always the way, isn't it? Uh, Stu, one for you here. The CW has cancelled Naomi, Batwoman and Legends of Tomorrow, uh, which is all from within the DC Arrowverse universe. They've also cancelled Legacies, which is a Vampire Diaries spin-off. Dynasty, a remake of the 80s series. Um, Charmed Reboot has been given the boot. Roswell, New Mexico, In the Dark, The 4400 and Riverdale are all going. Um, it feels like CW is completely wiping the slate clear, and especially within the Arrowverse, it feels like it's winding down now. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't even know about the forty four hundred. I don't know that was that had been back. Um, I watched that originally as well, unless that's a reboot or something else. I, that one completely passed me by. Riverdale and you know, I mean, half of that about. Other than the Arrowverse stuff, I don't watch anything on the CW anyway, at all. Same. Since, since I mean, obviously we we it's not aimed at us anyway. Um, but since Supernatural finished, the only stuff I've watched is the Flash, and that was the five part thing. I even nowhere near caught up with that. And Legends, like I've said before, but about two years behind on that. It just it had a natural end for all of it, and they never took it. They just carried on to bleed it dry, and it's kind mm. of come to its. It's gone. It used to be the first thing I'd watch as soon as I had the chance, and now it's nowhere near that. Yeah, so I think I think they they've had a good run of ten years with it all. Um, just have a clean sweep and and go down a different direction. I think. Yeah, wouldn't be too disappointed to be honest. Uh, annoyingly, though, Legends of Tomorrow finally bought in like one of my favourite characters in Booster Gold. And they got Donald Faze on from Scrubs, one of my all-time favourite shows to play him. And then they can eat. Like, I'm quite pissed off about that. And what did so, I say? I said this would happen. As soon did. as you bring Booster Gold in, it's all over. And it yeah. is. I, I'm, I'm really annoyed about that. But hopefully we'll still get that film by Zach Stentz. I think he was working on it, but we'll, we'll see on that one. Uh, and finally, Macaulay Culkin has signed up for a film called Rich Flu. It's a film about a pandemic which threatens to kill anyone with any sort of fortune. He's going to be starring alongside Daniel Brühl and Rosamund Pike. It feels like the return of the Cook has been a bit of a long time coming. But obviously last year we got him in American Horror Story and he was in the good half of that season as well. Uh, and now he's got a film. I mean, me and you, Stu, we were probably a similar age to Macaulay Culkin. So I'm guessing his return, you'd be quite happy with that as well. Yeah, I listened to a bit, a few episodes of his podcast as well a few years ago, um, and was surprised how normal he is, considering the life that he's had. Yeah, absolutely. He seems a fairly normal, one of us kind of guy. He's great, and I think he probably doesn't do any harm of how well his um, brother's done in Succession either. So, mm. and considering they are very similar, <laughs> obviously, 
looking. Um, yeah, bring it on. He seems like a, he, he seems like the, the issues that he had as a kid, as a adolescent and a young adult of way behind him, and he's looking for something else to do. And he always seems like a decent guy as well. So yeah, on strength and Rosamund Pike as well, ex Bond girl, uh, which yeah. she hates. <laughs> um, Every time, you, every, every time anyone interviews her and that's mentioned, she's like cringe. She's like, oh, so I should never have done it. Well, <laughs> if you hadn't done it, I wouldn't know who you are. But there we are. Yeah, I'll, I'll look forward to this. Just a morbid curiosity more than anything else. It does sound interesting. Matt, obviously being that little bit younger, um, had the original rise of the Kulk passed you by? or? or... Yeah, a little bit. A little bit, to be honest. Like... Not, I mean, I know, obviously, know what he's been in in terms of like his marquee films and stuff. But it's funny, you know, you know, somebody is on the rise um, in the social eye when they appear on a wrestling TV show crowd, and he was on <laughs> AEW Dynamite this week, I think. He was, yeah. Um, so you know, you know, his trajectory is on the up. Mm. Well, there was a rumor apparently he might be um, throwing his hat in with Freddie Prince Jr.'s wrestling promotion. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. He's looking stark because apparently all of the the Corkin brothers are huge wrestling marks. Mm. So I'm kind of intrigued by that. I mean, I don't know if you've listened to Wrestling with Freddie, but that's a good podcast. Oh no, I'm it's a good fun podcast. I feel like the the one the one part of my life where I need no more podcasts <laughs> is wrestling. To be honest, yeah. They, they get called pretty quickly because there's always one which is about six hours long and it just kills me off. Right, so that's all the news anyway. Matthew, have we had any listener questions? We absolutely have. We absolutely have. So I'm trying to go through all of the um, all of the retweets from a, from a well-placed little tweet I put out earlier just to try and in, in, entice a, a wrestling podcaster himself in a... Um, he obliged, thankfully. So we've got a few extra uh, people, hopefully, involved there. Right. So the first question um, from the let's go for let's go for King Wolf eighty four. Um, so fan one of our fancast, uh, our less um, successful podcast, Wolves Fancast, um, has announced that they have expecting a new wolf as part of the family. Which film character would you name your offspring after? Um, they have twins, and he wanted to go with Luke and Leia, but it was vetoed. Stu, if you had another, what um, film character would you name your offspring after? Oh, um, I am surprised that there isn't that many Luke and Layers out there. As you, you'd think it would be the obvious one, wouldn't you? But yeah. It, like, uh, uh, of a certain age as well. I, I, don't, I know one person named Layer, and it's not even spelled that way. Um. You want to say Ash just for a laugh, wouldn't you? But well, as, in you, ke- you... as in Ketchum. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You could, you could take it either way. You could you could take it from the Pokemon route, or you could take it from the Evil Dead route. Or yeah, I, I'll say Ash because it, it's generic, and you can get away with enough, enough things. Okay, and uh... and that could be for a boy or a girl as well, couldn't it? So exactly. yeah, you're golden. Um, I, I would need to have four, and it would have to be Leonardo, <laughs> Raphael, and Michelangelo. And I would buy them a rat called Splinter, of course. Of course, mm. absolutely, I like it. That's quite that's quite two good answers there. I like it. I like it. Um, David Evans, what's the most unusual place that you would like to see a film screening? For example, an abandoned house inside a ball ball pool at a soft play, projected on a tank at a sea life centre. Where where what? Creative places, do you think you would be cool to watch a film in Ando? Um, 
I know they've done it before, but I would really like to watch the OG Frankenstein film on the big screen that they put up at Dudley Castle. Hmm. Because James Whale, who wrote that film, was from Cates Hill, which is spitting distance from Dudley Castle. So it's more than likely that Frankenstein's castle is based upon Dudley Castle. So I think that'd be a really cool and quite an inside joke kind of thing to do. So that for yeah. me, that that's where I would want to go. It's just, it's pretty much just stole what I was going to say. You know, <laughs> but I was going to say watching the new um, Nick Cage Dracula film, but in Whitby Abbey. Okay, yeah. nice. Well, the place for me, actually, you know, this this exists. There's an open-air cinema in Liverpool, and it's called Liverpool's Bombed Out Church, and it's basically a church that, that survived an attack, like, but it never became a church again, I believe, and just is now like a cinema venue. Um, like smack bang in the centre of Liverpool. It looks class. I, I remember being in there the other day. There's a pizza place that I really like called Rudy's. And we were sat there going, why are all these people like at the church on a Saturday afternoon on like a match day? And it's it's, it's like it was, it was a cinema screening. Um, open air summer cinema. Oh, that sounds excellent. Yeah, it does, to be fair. It might be worth a trip up there in a, in a, in a, in a month or two. Um, Let's go with Matt Cunnington. Fast forward 20 years. What does the panel think? We're a panel. Well, that makes <laughs> us sound far too professional. Um, what does the panel think will be the state of the cinema industry? Will there even be one? Is the talk of its decline just talk? Stu, you, um, you know, you're a regular cinema goer, but you like your things set in a certain way, you know, trailers, this, this, and this. What's the cinema, you know, going to be like in in twenty years? Will it will a cinema exist? Yeah, yeah. I think it, when we were talking on a on a picture pod the other week about how what was number one in the eighties or in the eighty four or whatever, um, it might have even been Birdie last week. Yeah. Um, and what how everything's exactly the same now as it was then. <laughs> it's just sequels to what we had then, and it, w- it really wouldn't surprise me if it's exactly the same in twenty years' time. Where you'll get like Jurassic Park twenty, or something else, or dinosaurs in space, or something like that. Um, I I just, especially with what's happened in the last few years, I I think it's going to be. You'll get a bit more of a kind of individual experience. So you might get things like, you go to a screen for two quid more with no trailers and no dickheads or what something like that, and. Or you get if you want to lie down on a, on a bed, which is, uh, I saw on Twitter the other day, like the kind of the Love Island day beds. They've got them in cinemas in America now, so you can lie down and watch a film. <laughs> you think this is really going too far, but I think you'll have kind of bespoke weirdness like that more than massive like two hundred seater auditoriums, just because of how people are mm. and how people get so annoyed with each other all the time now. Um, but as cinema as a whole, I wouldn't be surprised if it's not too different today. Andy, any advances oh. on that? I mean, they've been proclaiming the death of the, the cinema for years and years, haven't they? And if you think back 20 years ago to, say, 2002, <clears throat> what's really changed? Not a fat lot. Other than, as you said, you have the odd bespoke cinema where they may do like a at lunch whilst you're watching your movie or we mentioned before the podcast recording, there was like a VIP treatment and they do like these little gimmicky things. 
<clears throat> but ultimately, you've never been able to better the experience of just being sat in a dark room watching a film. So I don't think the experience of going to the cinema will change in those terms. I think what will change is what's going to be on the big screen. I think we'll probably touch on this in a little bit when we do the hot take corner. <clears throat> but I can see the big studios just doing big films. And it's literally just going to be, there's going to be fewer films at the cinema, but they're going to be more sort of like two, well, probably 300 plus million. And we won't get a lot of the smaller, more art house independent movies. Hmm. I think in the rise of like having your Starbucks and your stuff in cinemas now, like it wouldn't surprise me if cinemas themselves are forced to become just media centers and not shopping centers, but it's part of a, a full day experience. The cinema, like it's it's a smaller cog in a bigger machine kind of thing. Mm. Um, because there is something nice now about like you know going in your big you know well actually on the lighthouse you know you go and you can have a beer beforehand and drinking the you know and like the you know um, shout out to lighthouse they've had medicine bakery moving to the lighthouse now um, which is a Wolverhampton um, when well, yeah, I mean I, I mean are they independent because they've got they've got one in Grand Central and they've got another one in the mailbox but. By, by the way, they've got a really nice bakery, like artisan bakery thing in there now. And you can have a beer beforehand and then go watch your film. Or at, at, at the cinema, you go and have a coffee first and like have a chill out and then go watch your film. It's becoming a longer and longer and longer event going to the cinema now as opposed to just rocking up, going to your film and then going home. I think the cinema will, will only do more of that, become like a, an event as opposed to just going to watch a film. That's what I think will end up, will mm. end up happening. Yeah. But, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Um, and uh, finally, I know my um, my notifications have gone kaput. Give me two seconds. Um, here we go. So, Andy, I want you to not attack the screen here. But <laughs> Andrew Wright, having walked out of everything, everywhere, all at once this week, how long do you give a film before giving up on it? And what is your quickest time? Did you both walk out of a film together once? I've made that up. I'm sure you went to a film no. together once and it was awful. I've only walked out of one film ever. What was I've, that? I've never walked out of one. Uh, Mimic 2. Mimic 2? I don't think I've seen Mimic 1. It was in that kind of... What's that thing with Natasha Henstridge? Species. It was around that kind of time. Um, and independently... Um, Goldie went to see it as well, and they walked out as well. <laughs> oh shit! I have seen that. It's fucking awful. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen the second one though? Yes, I think I have. I'm just looking at the images now. Yeah, Mila Savino's in the first one. Yeah, I, I have seen that. Just yeah. scrubbed it from my memory. Yeah, that that is worth walking out of. Eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> <laughs> but obviously a three point nine on Amazon.com. <laughs> Uh, no, I've never walked out of a film. I think I, I came close. Weirdly, when I went to see Mrs. Doubtfire at the cinema when I was like 10 years old. But I think that was more because it was a packed screen, screening and I couldn't sit next to my friends. So I think that may have like dampened the atmosphere a little bit. And June, I was very close on June. I mean, I, I got up and was about to leave and then the credits rolled. So I was gone either way. And it just so happened that the credits then did roll as well. So they ended at the right time. I, mean, I did walk out of Free Guy, but that was literally because I booked tickets for the night after. 
So I went to see another film. It was one of those secret shows. Yeah, it was. I remember you saying that. And I remember yeah. at the time you were disappointed by it, but in reality, actually, it was, it was yeah. a great film, to be fair. But I think it kind of like snuck up on everybody that I don't think anybody knew what to expect with that film. Yeah, mm. it came very much out of left field. And the trailers didn't really appeal to me, but as you say, it was a great film in the end. Well, those are all the questions. Thank you very much for everybody getting in touch. Um, I'm going to start putting um, the Instagram as a platform to get people's questions in. So if you haven't already subscribed to the Instagram, I don't blame you because there's very little content on there, but there will be as of now. So get your questions on there as well if you prefer Instagram as your um, social media platform as well. Get your questions in and we will answer them. Super. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll move on to the Hot Take Corner now. Uh, last week, Netflix stated they would no longer be greenlighting expensive vanity projects such as The Irishman. And to quote a source, this tendency to do anything to attract talent and giving them carte blanche is going goodbye. Um, what originally made Netflix an interesting studio was the fact that it could get any kind of film made they were different to what was on at the cinema. It wasn't just popcorn fodder. Uh, with the traditional studio system effectively now banking on shared universes for 90% of their output, is Netflix right to close the door on independent filmmaking? Will this just end up giving other studios a chance to make smaller and mid-budget films? What do you think, Stu? I mean, we kind of we talked about this before, haven't we, when we were saying how... Was it... It might have been when, um, might have been when Dan was on when we were talking about this. When you, the list of weird, or it might have been Tom. I can't remember. It was when we had a guest on anyway, and saying about all the, the films, the Netflix own made action films. That there's so many of them um, that that's not what you expected when it started. They kind of got sucked in by their own hype and started going down the route that everyone goes down, and he mm. started trying to replicate the cinema at home. Which, unless you've got a massive screen with with stupid loud surround sound, you're not going to get that experience at home anyway. So that was never really the point of blockbusters. Which, like, there's there's certain things. I mean, there's a question later that we'll come to then. But some of the the weird and quirky films that they've made, I enjoyed more, a lot more than some of the big stuff that they've done. Which, for me to say that, is a bit odd, knowing yeah. my taste in films. But it's always kind of however much to spend on it, on things, other than a few obvious ones with the rocking. Um, it's always very kind of like B plus. You're never going to get a massive like A A star super mega blockbuster on something like this. I mean, the Tomorrow War on Prime, but that wasn't even made for for Prime. It was bought by them after it been made. Mm. So things like that. It was that was a weird one off. Whereas they spent all this money on doing things like this, and I think they've kind of dropped the ball a bit, and now they're kind of having to rein it in, and it's going to be the detriment of everyone else. Yeah. Matt, do you think it'll be long before Netflix creates their own MCU-type deal? But obviously not with Marvel characters, because that ship sailed. Do you think that they're going to end up gunning for a, a shared universe that will pull people in? I don't think so, because I think... Netflix's biggest appeal in the MCU, you've got to have some vested interest in in comic books and that world and that genre. And when we argue all the time that there's only one film just re reskinned, 
Mm-hmm. Whereas actually one of Netflix's biggest appeal is it's that varied. You know what I mean? You know, I could be watching a serial killer documentary while Sam's watching, is it cake? Do you know what I mean? Whereas that, I think that's its biggest plus is there's something for everybody. So I don't see Netflix going down that route with it per se, but um, the, the fact that it's stop, stopping, what, what, I can't remember what the exact terminology you use for it, but these kind of like vanity projects kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It, I'm not saying like Netflix has ever been kind of like an arty um, indie platform, but you want, you always want a healthy alternative that's accessible to everybody because you never know what gem you're going to stumble across on Netflix. And it would be a shame if stuff becomes sanitized too much to fit now a, a, a creator wrestler version of whatever Netflix wants to put out, you know, you can find to only so many presets because Netflix want it that way. It would be a great shame. Yeah, I, I agree. Like I loved the Irishman. I thought it was excellent. I, I fully appreciate that a three hour film about Jimmy Hoffa's disappearance isn't for everybody, mm-hmm. but it, I thought it was a really good film with an excellent cast and you can see where the money was spent. There was a lot of CG work that went on and I feel like it was money well spent. But for them to single out that film when they've done several Ryan Reynolds films like Underground 6, I mean, Red Notice to some extent, I I did enjoy it, but Mm. it's not a high cinema at the end of the day. And then you've got all the dreck that they've done with Adam Sandler and they have the fucking gall to call a Martin Scorsese film a Vanity Project. Is there any more Vanity Project stuff than anything Adam Sandler's ever done. It just smacks of, not desperation, that's not the right word, but it just feels like they're completely missing the point of what people want from Netflix, Mm. which is that variety of a bit of everything. You can can go for your Adam Sandler shit, or you can go for something like a film I'll mention in a bit, but um, a marriage story. Like There is a, a wide array of excellence on there, and I don't want them to lose that. You know, I took the vanity comment to be the fact that they thought that they could do this thing, uh, they could compete with cinema and massive studios on in terms of talent and budget and do it over and over again, when the Irishman seemed to be a time and a place. It seemed to be like the culmination of a lot of years of kind of ramping up to that. Uh, and then after that, we've had nothing like it at all. It's all been this kind of like second, third tier of kind of film that you'd watch with your unlimited card because there was nothing on that week, rather than a kind of we have to go and see this day one kind of thing where the Irishman was. I mean, I didn't like it as much as you did, but fair fair play for him to for trying something that ambitious. But that's what uh, the vanity thing was the fact that they thought that they could do that all the time. That's what I took from that. But saying that, though, when you said about the shared universe, we have got the Netflix Christmas universe, of course. <laughs> yes, we have. <laughs> and if we have that all year round, every day, every day of the year, um, we can do that. We can bring yeah. that on. That's the gold standard of shared universe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, okay, so we'll move on to the non-film question, which is myself. Um, I want to know who is the best female singer-songwriter? Stuart. Hmm. Now, obviously, as we have talked about many times, music is not my main thing. But as soon as I saw this question, 
the only thing that comes to mind was Taylor Swift. <laughs> Straight away. And yeah, a lot of it might be kind of glitzy, smolchy nonsense. But some of it is really good. And at the same time, yeah, a lot of it's about breakups and what a, a terrible person she is and how she can't keep a man and whatever. <laughs> but at the same time, you can't say that she's not successful. and She knows exactly what she's doing. And she obviously has an audience for this stuff. And it hits home over and over again. Does that make her the best singer-songwriter? I don't know, but for me... The first person I could thought, I mean, you, you obviously, I know you're going to mention Dolly Parton and whatever. Um, but for me, Tay Tay is number one. Tay Tay. <laughs> you know, I, I can't argue because she's the voice of a generation, which sounds an awfully wanky thing to say. But she genuinely is. Like, she's one of the biggest recording artists of the modern day. She does have throngs of fans just who adore her. She's. She's fantastic. I, I genuinely cannot knock that as a choice. Matt, can you? Uh, yes, because <laughs> because it's a uh, it's uh, no. I can't say it's a well known fact that music now is shite in comparison to music <laughs> way back when. Because it's all subjective and it's all just when you were growing up and what it meant to you at that moment in time. Taylor Swift means nothing to me. Ah, Vienna. It like it's it just does nothing for me at all. Like so, mine would be well. It's, there's a mixture between two, so I'm going to give the one on the hope that you don't have it, Andy. I don't think you'll have this person. I'd say I'll, I'll guess that you're going to say Stevie Nicks. No, no. <laughs> mine would have been um, well. The one I won't use is I'll put it to the one side. Alanis Morissette, basically. Um, at that moment in time, Alanis Morissette and Jagged Little Pill and everything like that was the gateway out of screaming heavy metal and new metal into alternative rock and pop rock. And it was a natural progression from enjoying like Blondie and other things like that. In, but, mm. And also Americana. I know she's Canadian, but also like the, you know, when you, when you're young, you don't know the difference between Canada and America. Do you know what I mean? Um, and it, it's, I saw her live at V Festival back when V Festival wasn't a wanky Channel 4 thing. <laughs> and um, she was just excellent. And the album is full of of absolute vitriol and hate, but in a pop record. And it's it, it, it's the absolute best and worst of people, Jagged Little Pill. Um, it's a tremendous, tremendous album. And um, sadly, I don't think she ever really got over the success of that album either. Like, it's mm-hmm. all, will always be her biggest thing going um but i think she's i think she's a tremendous artist alanis morissette yeah i I completely agree i have very strong memories of playing toy story 2 on the mega drive listening to jagged little pill at the same time Mm. i'd have been because i think it was like 95 it was released so i've got very strong memories of that and it's a great album that's endured the the test of time they've made a um a musical on broadway of jagged little pill like it, it still resonates with people. It's an absolutely fucking phenomenal album. Can't argue at all. This, um, remember Britannia Music Club? Yes. I um I I had the the three uh, I was I had the three um album deal for that. Was it three every month or some or every mm. two months or something like that? And the one month, Jagged Little Pill was one. Uh, Placebo, the the orange covered one, wherever that one was. Um, and 
talk um, talk on corners by the course. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Uh, my answer is going to be Dolly Parton. <laughs> she she's such a phenomenal songwriter. I remember when she, when she was at Glasgow a couple of years back. And I generally don't bother watching Glastonbury coverage on BBC. I don't know. Like, when you're at a festival, it's a complete different thing. And seeing that sanitised version on TV just doesn't do it. But when Dolly was on, I sat there and I watched the whole thing. And she was fantastic. And she got all of her mates out to come out and sing all of these excellent songs. And I would argue that you wouldn't have... I mean, you would have Whitney Houston, but you wouldn't have that second phase of Whitney Houston's career without I Will Always Love You. Jolene by the White Stripes, like, that kicked them up another level. That brought them a little bit more into the mainstream than they already were. Taylor Swift probably wouldn't be the Taylor Swift we know without Dolly. So I think a lot of modern music does dial back to Dolly. She was very much a pioneer of, of the music scene, especially for women in that time. And she'd always joke about being more than just a big pair of tits. And like, you know, she she was um was it she used to joke about being a dumb blonde, but she wasn't dumb. And the fact that she's then gone on to fight, um put her money where her mouth is and help fund research into cancers and obviously mm. the whole thing we've just been through, as well as being a, like an excellent musician. She's just an excellent all-round human being. Mm. So I love Dolly. Uh, well, now that I was, I was almost convinced you were going to go um, Kate Bush. I don't know why in my head you were going to go Kate Bush. She's still <laughs> weird, eh? That's why. She's a Tory though, isn't she? So I can't do that. Well, the thing is, she's back in the limelight again now, thanks to Stranger Things, um, mm. because they use that, um, they use running up that hill. And I, I have her to thank for one of the greatest covers of a youthful generation in um, Hounds of Love by the Future Heads. That yes. has been blasted out so many times, and I've been pissed. Um, it's just a, it's just an excellent mm. cover. I can't. In fact, something's come in my head. For our future episode, and I know exactly what the theme is going to be now. So, okay, this is cool. the inception of that theme. So, Kate Bush, the, there's three songs of Kate Bush's that I really like. You've mentioned um, Running Up That Hill and Hands, Hands of, Love. of Love. The other one is Wuthering Heights. All three of those have got better cover versions. The oh. placebo Running Up oh. That Hill, Belter. The Future Heads, Hands of Love, Belter. And the ukulele orchestra of Great Britain's version of Wuthering Heights yes. is fantastic. He sings it in a proper Yorkshire accent. Check it out on YouTube. It's really great. I, li- I like Kate Bush, but not not for me. I Yeah. She, she's all right. She's got some really good, but a lot of just twaddle as well. I think I think what the, the impressive thing about her was the age in which she, she did it amongst mm. her peers at like, you know, I think she was like 15, 16 when she was on Top of the Pops um, in in a world where she was probably being touched up by the BBC staff. Do you know what I mean? Like it was, yeah. it was at, at that age uh, for a female, it must have been massively intimidating being on that platform, you know, being that kind of cultural icon at that early age. Um, but it's one of those. She is definitely an acquired taste, though. I can I can understand that. Mm. Yeah, very much so. Talking about placebo, it was uh, without you, I'm nothing. That album. I know the one. Yes. When you said the orange cover, I was thinking of like Matt's t-shirt. I thought he was going to be like just an orange yeah. cover. I know the and one. It, you mean. It's been a long time since I saw that box. I mean, it's it's probably in the loft now with all the other CDs. But 
It's got pure morning on and, and that kind of thing. Mm. Excellent. Uh, right, okay, so we'll move on to the next question, which is usually what you've been watching. But we had a tweet this week from James Beckett, and he wanted to know what we thought about Top Gun Maverick. Stu, you're the only one here who's seen Top Gun at time of recording. So, fill us in. What was Top Gun Maverick like? I absolutely loved it. I I mean, it, for context, you were doubting how, how cinema could the audacity to put so many screens dedicated to this film and was there really an audience for it? Whereas I said, well, of course there is. <laughs> um, but again, it, you had to, it was a time and place thing where me, I was going to say me hanging around with a lot of older men <laughs> as a youngster. <laughs> um, the, the peer group that went to football with obviously all love Top Gun and they're all like 10 years older at least. So, that's the kind of pe- people I expected to go and see. And the, I went to the first one, first screening that wasn't midnight. Um, and there was about 50 people in there. I was the youngest one in there by a, a, a good wa- good mile. And as usual, I, I, I said, the only, well, when we were talking about walking out of um, screenings, I walked out when they tried to show the, uh, the extended clip of Top Gun Maverick the other week uh, to ruin everything for me. So... I'm glad I did because of the, the part that they showed. Uh, so I went in as blind as I possibly could have done, watching the original the day before, and I absolutely loved it. It was the perfect sequel. It, it's made in such a way that if you haven't seen Top Gun for whatever reason or you haven't seen it for a long, long time, it doesn't matter because as a film of its own right, it hints back at things that happened in the original through a bit of like old footage from the first one. It's a really, really good action summer action film in its own right. Anyway, it's a, it's very similar kind of Force Awakens kind of sequel. Mm-hmm. Whereas you can see they know exactly what they're doing. It's um, the same beats. Yeah, it's the same beats at, at times in exactly the same amount of time in the film as well, which is. <laughs> But it's obviously all intentional as well, and they kind of laugh and joke about it. And there's, but obviously, Top Gun twenty odd times in my life. I love that film, and I obviously cost people who like planes and Costford Air Show and all that kind of thing. Obviously, there's an, a thing for it. I mean, I, I've even toyed about buying Ace Combat Seven on PS Five, and I haven't bought an Ace Combat flight flight game since <laughs> probably PS One days, and just the. The combat in it not being all CG, being actually actually practical, it makes a difference. It still makes a difference now. And the CG, you can't notice it because it's it's rarely used, mm. which is always a good thing. It's stunningly well made. It's got much more heart than I expected it to have. Um, but yeah, I mean, saying that, you two will probably go next week. Oh, seven out of ten. But for me, for me, I look. I was really, really surprised at how much I liked it. And at this moment in time, it's my number one film this year, easily. Wow, excellent! Uh, what else have you been watching, Stu? What I thought was going to be my number one film of the year was what all the hipsters are expecting, <laughs> and to you in particular. <laughs> and I can fully understand why someone walk would walk out of everything everywhere all at once because it, it's fucking mad and I knew when people say oh it's the best multiverse film and all this kind of thing I think oh well whatever 
I had watched the trailer, weirdly enough, for this one. And again, it made no difference, did it? Because <laughs> it's completely insane. I've, I've, I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like it, ever. No. Um, and I think David Baddiel put a tweet out the other day um, saying that he'd watched it, but he didn't want to say anything about it because his opinion would be slapped down because it's not what everyone else thinks. And I kind of got a like off. I got a like off him for saying it's really unique. Something like it's really unique. It's not the best film that it's not the film that everyone makes it out to be. But I've never seen anything like it, and it's really, really good. It's really well made, and it's strangely emotional, mm. which is what I did not expect at all to come from that. And it's one of them things where you can probably dive into it for about seven months of your life, watch it every day and pick something else out every single time. It's it's layered to fuck, but it's weird. It's odd. Uh, I can't imagine watching that even remotely pissed or, or <laughs> high because I, I presume that's, a, that's how it was written because it's just, it's so out there. It's it's like Twin Peaks on, it's like Twin Peaks on psychedelic acid. You have to see it to believe it, don't you? There's no, you can't describe yeah. it any other way. Um, but I can understand why some people would hate it and not get it and not like it. Yeah, fine. Um, but you can't not say that it's unique. Mm. I think there's a very simple storyline that runs through it, but it is underneath all of the clothing imaginable there's like you've got a simple storyline but then it's wearing a t-shirt which is wearing a waistcoat which has got a sports jacket and it's <laughs> it's so layered that you can quite easily sit there and peel away all the layers to get to the next level of the meaning of the bagel with everything for example um that you could as you say you could spend the rest of your life doing that or you could just follow the storyline about the woman who is trying to come to terms with who she is at, at its like most basic level, I, I genuinely loved it because, as you know, I like films which do have those layers. So it ticked all of my boxes. I think it was absolutely phenomenal. Hmm. I mean, there's there's others. I mean, it is like a kind of smorgasbord of every my life of watching the things that I watch on this list. I mean, you got the, you got them th- things like them two films. So, I mean, before we started recording this, I watched the the brass eye. Peter Geddon's special from 2001, which, again, I can't believe that was ever shown on, on free, on no. UK TV. I mean, even for if that was shown on Netflix, I mean, look at all the madness about the Ricky Gervais special from last week, which is just a genuinely funny stand-up routine, which, again, oh, let's cancel him. Let's destroy his career when he was actually being funny. Um, that was still, it, 21 years later, an incredible half hours worth of TV but so was um, the other thing that I, it's a shame that it's stranded on Apple TV Plus but Prehistoric Planet is amazing to watch hmm. the fact that Richard, Richard I said Richard Attenborough uh, David Attenborough is 96 <laughs> years old and he's not just he's there in person presenting it bouncing around in his jolly little way CG's faultless Absolutely faultless. It looks as good as any Planet Earth or any BBC stuff. I mean, it's even made by BBC, which is odd. Um, but yeah, in the run-up to Jurassic Park and uh, Jurassic World uh, Dominion, seeing raptors with little wings and feathers is a bit weird. 
but yeah, it's well worth watching if you if you get a trial or if you subscribe to Apple TV Plus anyway. Just give it a go because if you like that kind of thing, it's definitely worth it. Super. Matt, what have you been watching? Um, so I started Stranger Things. Um, obviously, you need to put a lot of time aside for that because it's there's some lengthy run times. Not, I haven't got a problem with that, though, to be fair. Um, I have been watching Our Great National Parks on Netflix, which um, has become, like me me and the good lady, Like we have shows that we just watch like while we're eating our tea. And then they'll just stay on, and then and then we'll just put something else on. It just becomes the go-to, um, and it's it's just such a tremendous program. Like visually, it's stunning. Audio-wise, it's really really excellent. And Barack Obama literally because he narrates it, mm. it could sell ice to an Eskimo and water to a well because he's just he's made for voiceover work. Um, but he also goes into some, not a lot, of detail about actually why we need conservation efforts and why we need to be protecting the planet and the importance of what us as a horrendous parasite and blight on the on the world is doing and why national parks are so important. Um, it's a really, really great series. I think six episodes, you know, six hour long episodes. Um, and you'll just be amazed at how clever some of these animals are and what they do, like how if we died today, like how animals just, they talk to each other, like animals that are completely different species communicate and work together like some kind of fucking Rudyard Kipling novel. Like mm. it's, it's unbelievable. The, the levels of, um, of intelligence between animals that you would not believe. So we'll watch the episodes and come back to me on it because it, it's, it's, a, it's a really excellent show. It's a bit like the um, how the raptor and the T Rex team up against the Indominus Rex in Jurassic World. Well, that, no, not like that at all. Um, <laughs> but it will be like a deer and a monkey are working together to 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 get food together and stuff like that. One and there's there's one where like a bird, uh, like a mongoose or something like that, is a lookout for lizards trying to do something, and they're a lookout because they know there are other predators around and the one can't get the food without the other and they work together. They're two completely different species that shouldn't be able to communicate with each other and they do through millions of years of, of, of evolution. It's just, it's just bizarre. Honestly, it's incredible. Um, apart from that, I've, I've been playing a lot of Breath of the Wild um, on the Switch. Um, I mean, listen, I'm going to put it out there right now. It's no Elden Ring. and that's going to upset a lot of people. <laughs> um, Elden Ring probably is going to go into a top five games of all time. Um, just for purely how it made me feel emotionally. Um, just by beating it was, was good enough. Then having to do all the achievements on it felt like a proper, proper, um, a proper achievement. But Breath of the World is, is, is brilliant. It's, um, it's just a, an endorphin hit after endorphin hit of just a nostalgia B because it's loads of like little shrines, little puzzles to complete, just little hits of dopamine just to like get you through and you can pick it up, play it for five minutes or play it for five hours. And you, you know, you're going <laughs> to feel the same way about it. Excellent game. Superb. Uh, on my list, <clears throat> I watched studio six, six, six the other day, the Foo mm. fighters film. I was a little bit disappointed. Oh, really? It wasn't as funny as I wanted it to be. Um, I, I really expected it to be a bit more slapstick. The horror elements to it were fantastic, but you could really tell the 
the guys within the foos who are comfortable in front of the screen and those who mm. aren't. Like Dave Grohl, I reckon could be an actor. Obviously not to the the, the top of the the tree, but like he's got chops. Whereas the others are very stilted. Um, it, it was a pass, you know, an easy way to pass an hour and a half, but it was a little bit of a letdown. I've got to be honest. Today I went to see the Bob's Burgers, the movie. I really enjoyed it. I, I mean, I love Bob's Burgers anyway. It's just nice to have a show that's nice, that's about nice people being nice to each other, not about just like a cynical takedown of the American nuclear family. It's just completely different to The Simpsons. I really appreciate that it has got that about it. It was a really good little, I think it was just under 100 minutes, just a nice little romp movie through a murder mystery that goes awry with a few silly musical numbers. I I loved it. I watched a film on Netflix called You Are Not My Mother, and it starts off as this Irish independent drama about a daughter who's living with her mom, who's got some kind of bipolar disorder and she disappears for a few days and then comes back. And then the film just devolves into this gates of hell, demonic possession madness, <laughs> like completely left field. Really enjoyed it. It was really weird and unexpected, but I do like Irish independent cinema for some reason. So yeah, it's cracking. And finally, I watched Moonfall, and it was as awful as the trailers looked. It made <laughs> no sense whatsoever. It was an extended advertisement for Lexus cars and Apple products. And just when you think you've got a handle on what's going on at the end, it completely <laughs> fucking changes into something absolute nonsense, just complete batshit. And I loved it for it. Like, did you Did you start laughing, though? Oh, all the way through. Yeah. Like the whole thing, it, it's got cult, it's got cult status immediately. It is up there with Geostorm. I really <laughs> enjoyed myself watching it. It's terrible, and like, if you don't like bad films, you'll get nothing out of it. But if you can appreciate <laughs> the the craziness that went into it, you'll have a good time with it. I think. Honestly, just it's when Michael Pe- spoiler alert when Michael Pena dies and he's telling telling his daughter how to walk, like she's fucking twelve years old and you're explaining how she needs to walk for crying out loud. Uh, it, it just makes no sense, but it was fun, so fuck it. Right, anyway, so our individual questions on the last podcast, you mentioned that they could have inceptioned the ending of Birdie. Uh, so my question is a simple one: What happened? Once the camera cuts at the end of Inception, Matt, I believe that it wasn't a dream world he was in, and he well he was in reality. Um, and I believe it for the I, I, I had to like watch some um, Inception videos today just to remind me of the general gist because it's been a couple of years since I've seen it. Um, I remember at the time thinking there was something at the very start of the film about how. The, his totem falls at the very start of the film and and, the, and actually did he ever wake up to begin with but then there was something also about um the guys on the plane that they must have been awake or so i can't remember the reasons why but i'm fairly certain i believe that it wasn't a dream but what i also believe the the whole point of it is is that it doesn't matter whether it is or isn't he wasn't in a dream or not that isn't the the true ending of the film isn't was mm-hmm. he wasn't he the true ending is about acceptance of your of your reality i guess well that's a bit of a, a non-see conversation 
it, it is that it's the Descartes. I think, therefore, I am. It, it doesn't matter if you're awake or you're asleep. You are. Uh, yeah, that that is the point of it. But yeah, makes sense. Stu, was it reality? Was it still a dream for Cobb? It is Cobb, isn't it? I've not yeah, just made yeah, that yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. When I when I watched it in the cinema first time round. I was convinced 100% that it, it didn't move, that it didn't wobble. Um, and then I, when I watched it last last year, I thought I saw it do. <laughs> and it's and the, the middle time before that, when I watched it on a couch, I thought it fell over altogether. And it was like one of these kind of things where you convince your own mind that, am I dreaming about this film about dreaming now? <laughs> and, <laughs> I don't know what is actually real anymore. So again, I had to go back earlier today and watch the ending. And I was—I think I was right all along. I think he was—I think they'd woke up. Mm. But the fact that this thing has fucked my head up so many times, mm-hmm. and it's—I've confused myself over something my own eyes have seen the same cut off over and over again. It's incredibly clever. Mm. It is, isn't it? Uh, I, I agree with. Yeah, I think he it was in his reality. I think he was awake for it. And I know you get you hear the noise of it wobbling just after it cuts, so it does sound like it's about to go and he's actually in the real world. And if I remember correctly, there's like a visual clue that he never sees his children's faces, does he, whilst he's dreaming. Mm. So throughout the whole anytime he's dreaming when he sees them, it's always from just behind where they're just out of out of view for him, but in this time he is actually with them and he runs off with them together, so he does see him. So I think there is the visual clue where he is actually awake. There's all sorts of like things that like people say his true totem is his wedding ring, or mm. that only Michael Caine knows, and he said that he he will only appear in reality, not in a dream, or something stupid like that. I think the fact that we're still talking about it now is just a testament to how good a mm. twist it is, or not a twist it is. And I hate to say this, it has ten times the appeal and like wider appeal, and people wanting to talk about it than Tenet did. <laughs> yeah. I, I love Tenet, but you are right. This is the film that's got the legacy for me uh, of mm. Nolan's work, outside of obviously Dark Knight. But yeah, I, it is a much better film than Tenet. Agreed. Mm. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Matt, your question's up next, please. So I want to know the best film, in your opinion, that had zero or very, or I specify very, very small theatrical release. So pretty much a direct-to-DVD or either a tiny American release or an only UK re- uh, theatre release. Stu? Hmm. When I was thinking about this, there was... <laughs> My first thought was The Irishman. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I didn't enjoy it as much as everyone else did. And I don't know I don't know why. Maybe I need to watch it again, but I'm not sitting through that again yet. Um, and then there's Bird Box as well. And I was thinking of all these different things. But the only one that I, I thought was, again, is still massively underappreciated, is um, Sentimental on Amazon Prime. That film is incredible, and no one talks about it mm. at all. 
It didn't get any recognition of any kind in any awards. I don't think I've never heard anyone apart from us, and that was only because I badgered you about to watch it. Um, <laughs> speak about it anywhere? Why? This, I th- it and the performances are superb. The as much of a horror, it's as much of a horror film as anything else. That can you imagine going from where he starts mm. from the start of the film to three quarters of the way through where his whole life has gone from what he knew. It's like going blind, like in Bird Box. I mean, how do you how do you go from one way of life to another in such a short space of time? And your life's completely ruined for you. So that the um, that guy who was cutting off, maybe I read about it the other day, and he uh, a forklift accident, and he his family wouldn't. Um, he was only eighteen, and his family wouldn't say yeah, keep him alive or not. And so they woke brought him out of the coma to say. Look, you're gonna have to have like you'll have one arm, a bit like Robocop. Um, you'll have one arm and that and a torso, but the bottom half of your body will be gone. And he said, Well, I'd rather just be a head on a plate as long as I'm alive. And then, well, yeah, okay, fair play to you. Um, but how do you go from one thing to another? And that's what this film's about, not not to that extreme, but. Nothing stuck with me of any film of last year, the last five years, than that film. It's brilliant, and I, it should be really. It should have like a limited release, like somewhere like the Lighthouse or something like that. Should put it on, but because it's a prime original, it's just stranded mm. there forever. I think they missed the trick as well because the sound editing in that film is exceptional. Yeah. Just the use of like when it crackles out and you can't hear what's going on, and how much better that would have been in a big cinema screen. Yeah, when you don't quite know what's going on and as good as it was seeing it on the tv having that with a proper surround sound system in a cinema screen would have been fucking brilliant they, they did miss a trick with that one i do think andy what about yourself uh, i've got a list of a few um i'll give you the one and then i'll mention the others after because i don't want to tread on your toes just in case um the answer that i'm going to go for is the five bloods by spike oh. lee I would have loved to have seen that. I thought there were some really excellent shots in that film. That the the use of going back into some of the flashback sequences where it went from a sixteen nine ratio to a four by three, and it had the old school like filmic look to it rather than the modern day digital camera stuff. I think it was really like they they just should have been at the fucking cinemas for it, and it was a really crying shame that it was released during the pandemic when there was no cinemas open to do it. I love Spike Lee, and I, you know, I don't think I've ever got to see a Spike Lee film on the big screen. Mm. And I would have loved to have seen that, especially with it being Chadwick Boseman's final performance as well. I feel like he, he could have really deserved the proper good send off for it. And it was above all of like those little intricacies. It was just an all round really good movie that I had middling hopes for because the reviews I'd heard weren't massively keen on it in parts, and it just. It hit a chord with me, and I thought it was wonderful with some excellent performances from Delroy Lindo and Chadwick Boseman. Mm, excellent. Um, mine was kind of the coming out party for um, Tom Hardy, really, in Bronson. Um, it had, I think, it would have had a UK release, albeit a small one, but it barely, barely featured mm. in in the in the old US of A at all. I think it was like we're talking like a hundred k it made at the box office or something like that. Um, it barely made any money whatsoever, so I don't think it was barely released. But it's a really tremendous film that hmm. tries to 
and semi-successfully goes a little bit arty with it as well. Um, you know, breaks the fourth wall and stuff like that. Um, but it's it's gratuitously violent. It's funny. Um, a great performance from Tom Hardy as well. You know, he's going to be seen by a lot of people as just being in Peaky Blinders and getting like middle-aged women wetter than a kipper doing those <laughs> CBBC read-along things. Um, but actually, you know, he's, he's got a lot of, of acting range and like Bronson is, is an example of that. He was really excellent in it. Um, it's it's uh, I haven't watched it for some time and I'm going to try and find it again soon and, um, and give that another run out. Mm, I do love Tom Hardy. He's one of those who's he's capable of doing anything. I remember when he did, um, he was Heathcliff in Wuthering Heights. Fucking excellent. A really good performance. Mm. Mm. Uh, the couple of other films that I had on the list. Uh, Grindhouse, which was obviously Planet Terror and Death Proof. Mm-hmm. Um, we got the two films separate in this country, but it was never shown as a whole. Um, so we never got to see all of those made-up trailers that they'd put in there for like Machete yeah, yeah. and stuff. So we got like a real watered-down version of it, and it. it just wasn't the same. Marriage Story is what I mentioned earlier. Excellent performance by Adam Driver, and it deserved a big screen to, to put it on there. Soul, I think, is a, just a wonderful, heartwarming animated film that had we have not been where we were in the world, that would have been on the big screen. Uh, Palm Springs, I think, also deserved a, a big shout-out because that should have been Andy Samberg's breakout role mm. on the cinema screen, and it, it wasn't, sadly. And the final one, it did get a cinema release, but it wasn't a big one, is Pig, of course. Of course. That should have been fucking everywhere. Unbelievable. I, th- I thought you would have gone um, Snyder's Justice League. No. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. I need to have a pause button to get through that, I think. Right, Stu, your question, please. I mean, It was already kind of hinted at earlier on as well when you were talking about um, Top Gun and watching the first one first, and um, Matt doesn't want to sit through three hundred hours worth of MCU stuff. Um, but in this kind of, well, it's not even multi multi film though. It's multi multimedia experiences, which encapsulate. I mean, Star Wars. You now you count in the games as canon as well. If you want absolutely everything, you're going to have to play Jedi for now or. Fallen Order and Jedi Survivor and the Battlefront 2 story mode, which counts as well, and all this kind of bollocks. And can you really be classed as a true fan if you don't watch every single minute of it all? Because for MCU-wise, I will watch every single minute of it. And when the whole thing about, oh, you have to watch Vision first, even how, how bad it is, it got to me. It got to me that some people... <laughs> jumped ahead and didn't suffer like we did. And they didn't sit through that nonsense for six hours or wherever it was. So do you class as, as a true connoisseur of the, of the medium if you're skipping part of it? Matteo? I would say that no, you probably can't consider yourself a f- complete fan if you aren't watching all of it but I would also argue that who the fuck cares <laughs> it's, um, by watching all of it it is not a currency you can spend and it will not get you laid 
Um, so you say that it's well. Um, I think it's one of those really that, like, within your like circle of whatever that interest is, it probably means a great deal. So you know, in the wrestling world, if you don't watch all of AEW and like Dark and Elevation and whatever that you know, you're going to be scoffed at by the nerds of that circle. But then in the like in the wider world where you know you wash and you eat vegetables and everything else, then, <laughs> like, nobody cares. Like, nobody cares. So I think in the circles of that of that world, yes, it probably does matter, but to functioning human beings, it, it, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> you stole exactly what I was going to say. Like, who does care? It, it, I find this whole, you've got to watch every second of everything weird gatekeepy thing to just be bollocks to be honest I, I just find it utterly weird and like using your uh, MCU analogy if a film doesn't stand up on its own without 100 hours preceding it, it is not a good film, it doesn't matter about the rest of it ultimately the only question you've got to answer is does that film work and if it doesn't if it needs the 100 plus hours before it, it is not a good film I think that's what we've gone past that now. That we all know that they, they don't stand up on their own, and they can't. Exactly, they can't possibly stand. Up. I mean, I was I was even tempted the other day. I was tempted to give Eternals another chance because it was it was sitting there, and I thought, hmm, was I wrong? But then I came to my senses and, and watched Prehistoric Planet, and I was happy again. But yeah, I, I think we've gone we've gone past that that point now. I think we, other than things like. Shang-Chi, which were generally new and different. Well, it was new. I wouldn't say it was different. Well, you had, like, it it was basically Iron Man again. Yeah, well, it was Iron Man and Pokemon. Um, <laughs> but it was something that we we hadn't got in a sense, that you didn't have to watch all the other stuff yeah. for a change. Um, but Miss Marvel, we all know that you can't go in that fresh. And Iron Man's the fourth sequel anyway, so you can't go with that fresh. So we are in this in this world now where this new new stories are not going to happen. Mm, that's fair. I, I just I do find like I mean this conversation seems to happen a lot on Twitter, and there is very much a case of touch grass to a lot of these people, where it is this gatekeeping of fandoms. And it's just so unhealthy and so toxic to be like that. To, to bash people because they've not seen as much of something that you haven't. It's just a weird, weird world we live in right now, to be perfectly I'm, honest. I'm just waiting for Bioshock to come out on film and I could be that massive wanker that's been like, <laughs> you fucking cool, he's a Bioshock fan. You don't have the art deco book of Bioshock 2 like I have. <laughs> I'm do all of Bioshock that. as well. It was basically DLC of Bioshock 1, let's be honest. Yeah. Awful. Right, okay, that's us done this week. Next up is our birthday cast two, Electric Boogaloo. Um, we'll be revisiting our top fives and talking about the past 12 months of cageness. Uh, following that will be a picture pod review of Freebirds, also known as The Wings of the Apache. This <laughs> is available to watch for free on the YouTube. I don't know if that's a good or a bad sign, but it's free, so get out there and watch it and and joining the cagey goodness. 
Uh, obviously, because you're listening to us on whatever smart device or laptop, please make sure you're subscribed. And if you could leave us a review, we would truly appreciate that. Um, please send us ideas for quizzes that we can play. Anything at all. It'll just be something to do on the odd question cast to, to round off the show. Um, and that's at Cage Fighting Pod on the Twitter and Instagram and CageFightingPod at gmail.com on the emails. So for this week, Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, everybody. Look after yourselves. And if you are the scam artist that emailed at cagefightingpod at gmail.com or whatever our email address is, claiming you're the daughter of Colonel Gaddafi, um, <laughs> you've had a reply. So um, <laughs> send us back because I want to get a sweet piece of that $65 million that you've promised me. Take it <laughs> easy. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? Platy jubes. Ta-ra. <laughs> It's goodbye from me, and remember, be excellent to each other.